This is Train to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training, fitness, and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman. Hello again and welcome y'all, everybody to the Train to Perform podcast. Today we have a legendary strength coach. Um, he's been in the game for over 35, maybe 40 years now. And um, I know it's, it's a, it was a great conversation. Um, I've learned personally a lot from Mike Boyle's business over the course of five, six years that I've been in business. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of great things comes from his, um, Mike Boyle strength conditioning, um, especially understanding how to work with athletes. Um, and also even, you know, adults that are really interested in, you know, getting, stronger, losing weight, um, you know, living a better life. Um, keeps it real simple when it comes to working with uh, people. Um, we talk about a lot of things, including, you know, when should athletes start training, specialization, um, you know, uh, just a bunch of different topics that are very uh, important um, for athletes to, you know, excel at the next level or even at, um, you know, even in high school. So I don't want to tell everything, but check it out. Um, and please rate and review after you listen. Thank you. How's everything with you? How's the business up there? I know it's a little weird because of COVID, but we're, we're doing okay. We're, we're surviving. We've kind of, um, you know, every day is different in terms of you don't know if you're going to get closed down tomorrow, you know? Yeah. So you just got to kind of keep plugging away. So yeah, we shall see. Yeah. All right. Well, um, really, I, I, I don't want to take a lot of your time, but I just want to kind of get into, uh, have a few questions. Um, I know you've been around uh, S and C, especially with the youth and well, most of sports for a long time. And um and with these, I'm just trying to provide, uh, you know, as you, uh, as I've learned from you, um, through, you know, uh, strengthcoach.com uh, and other avenues, um, you know, just provide information for not only the youth, but just the parents, the coaches and everybody that, um, are kind of in my circle. Um, but whoever else listens to the podcast, um, just information about, you know, strength conditioning with youth athletes and, um, you know, why it's effective and kind of go from there. Um, but to kind of start off, um, I like to ask, uh, you know, what's your story of like, why, you know, you are where you're at? Well, that's a, that's a good question. So, uh, this is, um, <laughs> excuse me, this is year 40. So it's a, it's a fairly long story, but basically my father was a coach. So mm-hmm. I grew up in this environment. My father was initially like a high school phys ed teacher, then a high school uh, principal, coached and taught, you know, coach basketball, coach football. 
so I kind of grew up in this sort of environment. I always knew I wanted to do something in this field. I didn't think I, I didn't want to be a sport coach. I knew that. Uh, I started looking into athletic training, went to college for athletic training. And then in, you know, 1978 or nine, all of a sudden strength and conditioning started to exist. There were, there were these people called strength and conditioning coaches. And I remember thinking, this is exactly where I want to be. Mm -hmm. That time I had been, I was kind of a wannabe football player and I had been lifting and training and doing things. And so I was able to kind of combine what I liked about athletic training in terms of being able to, to apply my brain a little bit more, maybe on the, you know, the kind of sciencey medical side, and then also be able to apply that again on the training side. Cause I had found, I, I really enjoyed the process of trying to get strong. And, and I started coaching some people and I liked that. I was actually coaching at that time, a couple of powerlifters of all things, which people probably would look at me now and say, you were coaching powerlifters. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> yes, I was. In, in the seventies. So, um, and then it was literally the, the old one thing leads to another, you know, I, I started at Boston university as an athletic trainer and very quickly made the transition to a, from a paid athletic trainer to a volunteer strength and conditioning coach and gradually kind of created my own job at BU where they hired me eventually full-time. I was there for nine years, part-time. I always tell people, I didn't have a full-time job until I was 30 years old. I was a bar, you know, if you ask me how I made my money from 21 to 30, I made my money as a bartender and, and I coached because I liked to coach. And I mean, I was, I was living the life. I was having a blast. Never, you know, I mean, cause the coaches that I knew, none of the coaches I ever knew made any money anyway, you know, guys were teaching school and coaching after school and getting paid a couple thousand dollars. So for me to be at a place like BU and working with, you know, some of the, literally some of the best athletes in the world yeah, was pretty amazing. So yeah. that's, uh, that's the Reader's Digest version. I, I could, I could bore you for however long we have with, with that. <laughs> I'm assuming, I'm assuming after BU, you, 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 you know, built out, started to build where, where you what do you have now? Like, well, I was still there. So I stayed in, it's an interesting story. So I started the strength and conditioning program at Boston university. I was by myself initially in a 600 square foot weight room, then in a 2000 square foot weight room, then in like a 6,000 square foot weight room. And uh, in 1997, I decided to open Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning because I had been training kids at BU in the summer, in addition to training our own athletes. And I stayed at BU until 2012, just working with ice hockey. So from 97 to 2012, I was the strength and conditioning coach for ice hockey and ran my own business at the same time. So I was, uh, there was always, I said, until I left the Red Sox in 2013, I had never had one job. I had been doing at least effectively two full-time jobs for up until I was 53 years old. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Now that I think about it, maybe I should do do more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think you should when you're young. The problem is it's, you know, I've talked a lot more lately. It's, it's, eventually finding that balance and realizing that, okay. Um, I, I had a difficult time finding the balance. Mm. I think I've gotten a little bit better now, but I mean, it's, you know, kind of late in the game for me. I still feel bad if I don't, you know, if I work five or six hours, I feel like I'm cheating. And, um, so, but when you're young, I do think I always say most people, if you want to be successful and you're not prepared 
to, to work, you know, to work two jobs and to work 12 hours a day and to really make some sacrifices, you probably are not going to be successful. And I don't care what field you're in. The problem then becomes how do you, how do you make that transition from that? You know, that becomes you. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you've got, you know, whatever, a wife and kids and family, and you've got to kind of spin that back around and, and become a better, like for me, a lot of the last 10 years has been trying to be a better dad and a better husband and not necessarily a better coach. Yeah. I don't, you know, I might've been a better coach 10 years ago, but if your life is shit and you're a good coach, who cares? Right. <laughs> we'll ultimately come down to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I mean, I'm still very young. Um, at a certain point in the, I would say like two, three years ago, I was doing, I was working at a, like sort of a big box gym around where I live. And then I was co- coaching soccer at night. So I was like, you know, going back and forth from different uh, places uh, pretty much for a solid like three, four years. So, um, but now that I have my own sort of, I have my own business, uh, like you said, like I work like literally from seven to eight, like all day, uh, pretty much every day. So. It is what it is. I enjoy it. I enjoy doing what I do. Uh, it's a grind, but I don't look at it as a grind because, you know, uh, I never had this when I was growing up. Um, there was like times where I had strength conditioning, but um, providing the, the, the kids that uh, play soccer around here or whatever sports they play, um, you know, something to help with their strength, um, help with them get to their dreams of playing in college soccer or wherever. Um, it's been really, um, it's been amazing so far. So it's been fun. Yeah. That's it. The good thing is I've always, I've never felt like as much as I had, you know, two jobs and sometimes three jobs and all kinds Mm -hmm. of things going on. It never really felt like work. Bartending kind of felt like work to me, although I I liked it still, I had fun doing it, but um, I've never, I always said up and it's only been the last three or four years where some mornings I've gotten up and I wasn't excited about going to work. And that's when I know <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of on the other side right now because I used to get up and think, Oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? It's like, you know, who's working out today? Who are we going to train? You know, like you were so into the process of, of mm-hmm. watching people get better that it never seemed a job. You know, I can, you're too young, but I mean, Steve Martin, the comedian, used to always, you know, come out and start a lot of his uh, shows with, you know, I get paid for doing this. Like, this is amazing. And that's how I used to always feel like. I feel like Steve Martin, like, are you kidding me? Like, people pay me to do what I do, which is just amazing to me. When yeah. I when people ask me now, because a lot of times I kind of downplay, particularly when I'm, you know, when I'm home and like with people that I don't really know. And people will ask what I do and I'll be like, I watch other people exercise. <laughs> I like that. You know, and they kind of look at you like, you do what? <laughs> people pay me to watch them work out. And people are kind of look at you like, like, that's a job. Like someone will pay you to watch them work out. And I'm like, yeah, actually, some people pay a lot of money to watch them work out. It's like depending on you know who the person is and who the watcher yeah, is, right? It can yeah. be really super lucrative. But yeah. I just like to kind of mess around with people sometimes in the, because half the time, you know, with people, as I said, people in my town, half of them have no idea what I do. You know, the people that I know. Yeah. Some people will come in the gym sometimes and our gym is really like, it's 20,000 square feet. It's big. 
Wow. And I've had people come in and for the first time they come in, they're like, I thought you owned like a little gym. And I'm like, well, I own a gym. I never said it was little. I just said I owned a gym. And I, you know, I just kind of, I always like to just. Down. Are both locations that big? No, this, well, the smaller one is 7,000, which okay. is still pretty big, but yeah, the, the big one's big. Yeah. So is the, is, um, the big one, is it, uh, it's just wide open or is there like rooms? Um, there's basically three rooms. The, the two of the rooms are, you know, uh, we probably have about 8,000 square feet in each room minus the office space. So one mm-hmm. is all turf and then one is basically half turf and half weight room. And then there's another smaller room that just has all of our cardiovascular stuff in it, some bikes, some slide boards, some treadmills. Mm. So all told with all the office space and everything, it's about 22,000 square feet, probably, probably 16,000 workable square feet somewhere in that neighborhood. Is that, is that the most, is that the location where you get the most uh, clients or does the other location? Although we do, the other one is doing really well. Our other one uh, is in a hockey rink and, we're busy okay. both, but the, the Woburn one, the bigger one is a, uh, is a bigger, you know, has, has bigger numbers, bigger revenue source. Awesome. So, um, talk, talking about functional strength training, you know, you guys have this, you guys, you guys, uh, you know, have like the course on it and then the certification, um, you know, where, where did, I mean, where did that come about and like, I know it's been, it can be utilized in all different ways for athletes, for adults that, um, but you know, what, why do you feel that, uh, it's the most, you know, or the best way to, you know, it's so this is one. And again, I've, I've done so many of these podcasts. I've probably told these stories a hundred times now, but (laughs) When I wrote functional training for sports in, I think, 2004, mm-hmm. so 2003, let's say, Human Kinetics contacted me and said, we want you to write a book on functional training. And, my, and I said, I'm not sure I know what functional training is, so I, I don't know if I'm the guy to write the book for you. Mm-hmm. And the guy then, the acquisitions editor said, well, we think what you do is functional training. So we think you'd be the right guy to write the book. And I said, so I can write whatever I want and you're going to call it functional training for sports. And he said, yep, that's exactly what we're going to do. So I never thought, I always thought, you know, like, um, you know, if I'd named a book, it might've been sensible training for sports or not stupid training for sports or do you know what I mean? And they used yeah. the word functional, not me, mm-hmm. but it was it was an outgrowth of just of learning of, of going to seminars and realizing, you know, people saying when you sat there and listened to someone who said, basically training your athlete to be a power lifter, isn't the best way to train your athlete. I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And that was, you know, and this was years ago, it was, you know, Vern Gambetta and guys like that talking about unilateral training and being on one leg and, and you start thinking, you know, and then people talking about core and, you know, there are all these things that people were talking about. And I just was sitting there taking it all in and incorporating it into what we were doing because it made sense. So when I wrote the book, if you read the, you know, the original functional training for sports, that's one of the things they said. Functional training is training that makes sense. It's just taking what we know about functional anatomy and applying it to training. 
So to me, I mean, it, it couldn't be simpler or more sensible. That's why sometimes I struggle when people argue, because I look at people when they argue and think, I hate to say it, but I think, wow, these people just aren't that smart. Because if you're arguing, it means either you don't understand anatomy or you don't understand physics, or you've never bothered to understand functional anatomy. Because if you look at, I always say, if you look at sports skills and say, how many sports skills are there where we use both legs at the same time? And really there's one Mm -hmm. rowing. Other than that, everything else is primarily unilateral. Everybody else is moving, you know, in some sort of ambulatory pattern, one Mm -hmm. leg at a time. There's Mm -hmm. no sports except for rowing where someone says, okay, you're going to sit still and push with both feet. It just doesn't happen. And people would try to argue, you know, linemen in football. I'm like, okay, watch line play. That's not true. They're not using, you know, they're always on one leg. They're always using one, you know, it's, it's stepping, it's moving. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain situations, maybe in basketball or volleyball, where people are jumping off of two feet, but the, the actual bilateral occurrences are pretty rare in sport. So to me, it just, this was just a very logical process of looking yeah. and saying, okay, what happens and how do we best prepare people for what happens? And so we ended up kind of where we are today, which, you know, now we're sort of inextricably linked with this idea of functional training. And we took advantage of that. You know, we called it this course certified functional strength coach, because obviously that's what people associate me with. And again, if I'd called it, you know, certified sensible strength coach or certified not dumbass strength coach, you know, it wouldn't have been as effective. So functional becomes a word that you can, that you can utilize and hopefully over time make people understand better that it's sort of not like, you know, standing on a BOSU ball and waving dumbbells around. You know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. part of the problem is that during say the two thousands functional really got kind of bastardized because people were going, you know, the sort of like crazy functional training and stupid functional training. And, and it wasn't really all that sensible. So um, I think hopefully what we try to do is kind of keep bringing the pendulum back to center. You know, we don't want to be way off to the right where you're running a powerlifting or an Olympic lifting or a bodybuilding program, which is what we were doing, you know, what we did in the eighties, right. Or versus the other side, maybe, you know, the other side of the pendulum is it's, you know, just crazy, you know, kind of, you know, multi-planar swinging stuff around, you know what I mean? So you've got to be thinking, all right, what places me in the middle Mm-hmm. Of two things in this, you know, in this sensible space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and that's the thing. I think a lot of, uh, I think that's one of the hardest, uh, way uh, things that strength coaches have a hard time with, um, just, uh, just trying to serve to the, the kids, um, something that's like, like amazing where you can really like, if you take a step back and like, look at what you do and, you know, things that happen in the sport and just, and just kind of emulate that in the, in the weight room. Um, especially, I mean, I only really train a lot of soccer players and, um, I try to take, I look at the game and I try to make it as, I'm not saying exactly sports specific, but, like you say, function. I mean, a lot of my programming, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> it comes from the ideas that you have in that book 
and just kind of uh, um, putting that and then um, just understanding, you know, the different timeframes for the kids, if it's in season, off season, whatever. Um, and then just kind of roll with it like that. Cause I, like at the end of the day, and I've learned this from you is, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, um, you know, only making them a little bit better for their sport because they've already gotten that far without us. Um, and, and that's how I look at it. Cause I don't want them to get injured in the weight room, um, doing some dumb exercise. And, right. um, and that's, and that's why and I try to keep it as simple and, as possible. And the, the problem is so many of us came to strength coaching from a non-sport background. We came, you know, from a background of powerlifting or a background of Olympic lifting or a background of um, bodybuilding or whatever it was now, you know, people come from a background of CrossFit. And what we, what we tend to do in general is we just give people what we like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wh- whatever it is that we like from a programming standpoint, we think that that's what's best for everybody. I always use the, the Bud Light and chocolate chip ice cream analogy. I always say to people like, I like Bud Light and chocolate chip ice cream, but I don't think that's a diet for everybody. And, but, you know, in strength and conditioning, we tend to get very focused on what we like and then try to convince everybody that what we like is going to be really good for them. So it would be like me going around everybody and be like, really, you got to drink more beer. You got to eat more ice cream. Like it's really going to be good for you. These are things that are really going to help you. And I think we've done that with, you know, whether it was powerlifting or Olympic lifting or, you know, kettlebells or CrossFit or whatever, instead of looking and saying, how do I make this kid better at his sport? You think, how do I get this kid to do the things that I like? And try to convince them that that's going to make them better at this sport. So um, that's what we're trying to get away from. Trying to move more towards something that's, um, I wouldn't, I don't like the term sports specific. I use the term sports general in my book. You know, I said, we want to be very sports general as opposed to very sports specific. But again, when you look at sport and you realize that sport, as we said, is primarily unilateral. And sport, yeah, you know, does not involve you putting, you know, three or four or 500 pounds on your back and, you know, trying to bend up and down with it. Like, you know what I mean? When you really look at some of the things that we've done repeatedly, they're not necessarily all that sensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what I take a lot from you and what you guys do is a lot of the single leg work. Um, I mean, I know the kids enjoy, you know, back squatting and all that kind of stuff because they think it's cool. But at the end of the day, I try to uh, sort of reiterate to them when we're training, like, um, you know, like you're training in here not to be like you're saying a bodybuilder or, you know, go on stage. Like I'm, I want you to be able to go on the field and just crush it, um, you know, be faster, be stronger and uh, be confident and um, that you're going to play your sport well. Um, so that's kind of what I sort of try to tell them versus, all right, we're going to crush it in the weight room with these big lifts, bench pressing. And all that. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not against them, but it's more, more or less just like you mentioned, just trying to keep them safe. Yeah. Um, so um, I have another uh, kind of going on a different uh, topic here. Um, I know 
this is a big topic in SNC and sports and all that on like specialization and like when should athletes start, you know, strength conditioning. I mean, I know those are kind of two different topics, but you know, um, what's your opinion on, you know, specialization? Like what, like should they, um, I, think, I think if you want to be a great athlete, specialization is a massive mistake. I think okay. most people, and it's, you know, you're in soccer world. I'm in primarily the, the hockey world, but uh, most, the, the point that I try to make all the time is for a parent to be successful at something, they need to specialize. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be a really good doctor, you need to just be a doctor. If you said to somebody, I'm a doctor lawyer, people would be like, really? Like, how does that work? You know, <laughs> you both. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like a decent doctor and I'm a pretty good lawyer. And people are like, well, I don't really want like a, like a decent doctor and a pretty good lawyer. I'd like someone that's really good at one of those things. And so adults don't understand the needs of children because when they, they see everything, again, we see everything through our own lens and our lens is that, you know, that focus hundred percent into this particular area kind of lens. And they think if I want my kid to be successful, that's what my kid should do. And that's not reality. Um, the reality is you want your kid initially, particularly like I would say up until about 14, you want your kid to be a great athlete. You probably, if you have a kid that's going to be a division one player in any sport at 14, they probably should be trying to pick what sport that is. You shouldn't have picked it for them when they were six or seven. They probably won't end up being division one players at that level. You know, you want to give them that ability to sample like it's as a, for instance, my son is a really good lacrosse player. Mm -hmm. I did not think that lacrosse was going to be his sport. We just were kind of looking for something that was complementary to hockey. And we didn't think that was baseball. So eventually he shifted over when he was probably nine or 10 or something from baseball to lacrosse. But the difference was his aptitude has shown itself to be the highest in lacrosse. And okay, that's, you know, that's probably what he's going to pursue in college. Yeah. But if you'd asked me or asked him when he was, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever, he would have been saying hockey, 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 hockey. That's what I want to do. And then he started to have more success and realized so I'm a better lacrosse player than I am a hockey player. Parents don't know. Parents just, they have an interest and they don't give the kid that opportunity to sample the way that they should. So that's one question. The strength and conditioning thing, I have a, like a very stock answer, 11. Because uh, if we look at the way youth sports programs are set up, 11, 12 is an age bracket for both boys and girls. You know, soccer, everybody has their own, you know, way of describing it. You know, soccer, it's like U12 or U11 or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hockey, they call them peewees for whatever reason. But um, I feel like 10, I don't want a 10-year-old in the weight room myself. And that's, you know, some people do, some people like it. I just think, you know, they, they don't have the attention span, they don't have the maturity. They don't really want to be there. When you get to be 11, 12, now you're in a situation where you're the next level is going to be teams where you play based on ability. So up until kind of 11, 12, it's everybody gets equal time kind of playing. Hopefully if you're in a good program anyway, everybody gets a chance to play. People play different positions. There's a lot of, um, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit more for fun. And then suddenly at 11, 12, you're looking at like, wait a second, you know, I'm going to go into middle school. I'm going to go into high school. I, I, there's a chance I'm going to get cut there. You know, they, it becomes a little more real for kids. And I think that's the time when 
training starts to make a little more sense. And you can start to expose these kids to this idea. Like I always said, at 11, you can look at a kid and say, hey, if you really want to be good at this, then you need to do some extra work. And yeah, it's, it's arbitrary. It's an arbitrary number. I mean, I used to say 12, but what happened to us is that when we had the youth programs that we worked with, they wanted to send their 11, 12 teams, you know, and those teams were a combined two-year teams. So we kind of got stuck with the 11s. I used to think 12, again, from a maturity standpoint, was about the time a kid could understand the needs of strength and conditioning and the fact that, you know, you got you to gotta listen, you got to stay in line, you got to pay attention to technique. There's a lot of stuff you got to do in a strength and conditioning program that I would say isn't really fun. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be fun up yeah. until 10. I want all the emphasis to be, you know, have fun, play multiple sports, develop a lot of skills, develop, you know, we want kids to develop, like I said, you know, the ability to run, the ability to kick, the ability to strike an object, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a, a golf ball or a baseball bat or a hockey puck, whatever it is, but you want to develop that broad range of physical skills. So that's why I said, like, that's one of my big beasts with soccer. Soccer, there's no hands. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a good neuromuscular development sport for young kids. You know, you want that kid to be, you know, to be catching and throwing and, do, and doing all these athletic things so they can become a great athlete. I always use, um, I don't know if you're a hockey fan, but the Sedin brothers who played for the Vancouver Canucks, they just retired. But I remember um, meeting their strength coach at a seminar in Europe. And we were talking about this whole specialization idea. And he was like, oh my God, the Sedins, um, when they were 14, they literally had to decide whether they were going to go the pro hockey route, the pro soccer route, or in, in uh, Sweden, there's another sport called netball. And he was mm-hmm. like, the teams were the best soccer players. They were the best hockey players and they were the best netball players, but they had to figure out, okay, where, you know, where am I going to go? And they chose hockey. He was like, if they chose soccer, he said, they'd be pro soccer players right now. And I think that's the part that parents don't see. And with most of the great athletes that I know, that was the way that it was. The problem with soccer is there's a lot of people in the soccer world that come from countries where there are no other opportunities. So the soccer example sometimes is skewed because people will say, well, the Brazilians only play soccer. And I'm like, yeah, the Brazilians only play soccer because that's really all there is. You know, they've got mm-hmm. a little bit of basketball, but not great. But, you know, they don't have the range of sports that other um, countries, have, yeah. countries have. And if you think of the whole, you know, all of Europe, I mean, soccer is so far elevated above everything else that there really aren't, you know, maybe rugby in a lot of those countries, but there aren't generally the choices that they have. So I think kids should sample up until they're um, at least 11, 12 years old. And then, you know, start thinking about strength training a couple days a week, you know, and really strength training, speed training, power training, you know learning to jump, learning to throw medicine balls, like all those things that they need to do. And then around 14, I always think I'd like to see them move from three to two. <clears throat> so you should, I think you should be playing a different sport every season. Mm-hmm. At 14, if a kid says to me, I'm going to cut something out and I, I want to just, you know, like, like my son, it's hockey and lacrosse now. And if he said to me two years from now, I just want to focus on lacrosse, I'd be fine with it. You know, when 16 years old to 17 years old, he said, hey, you know, I got to really focus in on this if I want to, you know, play division one. I'd be like, okay, that's great. But I don't see the, you know, the six or seven year old where people like when you see people, I meet kids whose kids seven, like, oh, he's a pitcher. 
Like, how the hell do you know? He's seven. Like, yeah. I'm going to tell me he's a pitcher. You know, or even in soccer, you know, well, you know, he's a striker. You know, he's a, he's a back. You know, I feel like one, like, in all honesty, in soccer, if you're not the best goal scorer on your U12 team, you ain't going anywhere. You know, if you're already, if you've already been relegated to defense at 12, you're not a good enough athlete to probably play division one. And so, you know, this, um, you know, it's, it, people make a lot of mistakes. Parents make a huge number of mistakes, all well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. And our job is, I think a huge part of our job is parent education, trying to get people to understand it and see the bigger picture and see that, um, you know, kind of the error of their ways because in every, um, and soccer's doing it like ODP soccer is creating their own problems because they're trying to get kids to quit other sports and focus on soccer. Like American soccer is trying to take kind of a European route and, and get kids to, to specialize too early. And again, I, I think they're looking at things from a kind of a backward lens. They should be trying to get better, get and keep better athletes in soccer. And one of the ways to do that is to let kids play more than one sport. Because if not, if you make a kid who's a really good baseball player pick between baseball and soccer, he might pick baseball, particularly in America. You know, if he's an American kid, you know, the kid who picks soccer in America, um, you know, it generally tends to be a smaller kid. Like we don't have, I was shocked, um, in 2004, I worked in uh, California with our women's Olympic team and with the LA Galaxy. And I was amazed how big the foreign players were relative to our American national team players. But in the U.S., soccer, you know, if, is, you hate to say it, but, you know, if a kid isn't, you know, isn't big enough for basketball, isn't big enough for football, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, soccer. Or if he comes from, let's say, a European or like a Central American background or something like that where soccer is the family game then those kids may be, um, you know, may tend to go right into that. But in general, um, the average kid is not picking soccer first in America. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I believe, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I was very fortunate that I actually played like multiple sports until like uh, probably middle school. And I think that's helped me, uh, even though I've like torn my ACL multiple times, but I mean, just just understanding how to throw and you know all the things you're saying. It's it's funny because um, you know I, I I train little kids. Uh, not even S and C. We do like just fun games and stuff, and uh, just watching them throw, catch, and do all these uh, things that you're just mentioning. Um, it, it's 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 it, uh, it's it's great to see that these young kids are actually enjoy it. But then when I have when I train like older kids, it's they can't even catch a football properly. It's, and it's crazy. And you can just tell, uh, you know, what they, um, have engaged in as they, as they've grown older. Oh, we see it. It's happening in hockey. The hockey kids are less athletic and there's less American, like at least from our area, Mm -hmm. less and less NHL players from our area. And I think the biggest reason for that is the early specialization part of hockey. The kids are not good athletes. The kids that I coached that went on to become National Hockey League players, again, they were all elite in another sport. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them, you know, they were, they, were, they were really good baseball players. They were the best baseball player on the high school team. They were the best pitcher. They were whatever. <clears throat> now we get kids who, again, you know, hockey in the Northeast, 
kids, you know, eight, nine years old, that's all they do. You know, they play spring hockey, summer hockey, hockey, you know, two teams during the winter. And then they get to a point where they're 12 or 13 or 14 years old and they're just not very good athletes. And they get passed by, by a kid who's more athletic than they are. Yeah. No, I, I see it all the time around here. I mean, I'm, I'm in the DC area and, you know, they talk about how the soccer here is like some of the best, but we'll have a kid that'll come out of here every once in a while. It's like, unlike it used to be where we had a lot of kids, uh, a lot of soccer players that were very, very good, um, uh, coming out of here. And, um, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Um, kind of going on with kind of going forward. What, what is your opinion about, you know, a kid doing S and C year round? Like, is that something that, every, or should they only do it like in seat, like off season? Every, every kid who wants to be an elite athlete should be on a year round program. My goal, and it's funny, there's a really good book called Movement Over Maxes that a guy named Zach Deshant wrote. He's, a, he's actually the baseball strength and conditioning coach at Texas Christian University. But one of the things that he says, which is really brilliant, is that, so if you get your kid in middle school, like this is what I'm doing with my son and with his friends. Mm-hmm. My goal for my son and his friends is that they're going to get 600 workouts before they get out of high school. Wow. Because that's two days a week for six years. Right. Two days a week for a year is a hundred, you know, really 104 mm-hmm. workouts. If you don't miss any, mm-hmm. you think about that, you do that for six years. Those kids are going to be very physically well-prepared by the time they graduate from high school. So, yeah. and the one thing about strength and conditioning is it's, it's one of those things that it kind of comes and goes, you know, you get stronger, but if you stop lifting, you lose that. But if you don't ever stop, like with my son, my son and his friends, are going on probably, he's going to be 16. They're probably going on year four. And there are some of them now that are probably getting close to 400 workouts. And they're getting pretty strong. You know, these are kids now that are 15 years old. They can all hang clean 135 for five. You know, they can all bench press 135 for five. They can do 10 chin-ups. You know, they can, they can do one-leg squats. They can do a lot of things. You know, they're vertical jumping in like 25 range at 15. And it's really just based on the consistency factor. They're all good athletes, but the consistency factor, like my son, because I've been tracking this stuff, will have gained, um, I'm going to, I'll weigh him again in February because I just happened, I, I don't know why, but two years ago, February, we weighed everybody. We just had everybody jump on the scale. And two years ago, February, he was 134. He'll be about 174 this February. So he will have gained 40 pounds in that two-year period. And again, he got a lot taller. There's been a lot of physical changes, you know. yeah, yeah kind of body by God in some ways because they're just, they're maturing, they're getting bigger, but you look at these kids and you see that effect. So to me, I would, if, if I had a perfect world, I would tell kids, once you start, don't ever stop two days a week until you're done, until you say, okay, I don't want to play sports anymore. And then you go into your adult program. <laughs> yeah. Adult program, exactly. <laughs> um, my, when you have like, you know, people interested in what you guys do, um, what's sort of like the, I don't want like to sell selling point to them. Um, especially with parents, like and coaches, you know, I know, um, you know, new businesses kind of open up, um, you know, with S and C it's very hard to, you know, quote unquote sell. Um, but you know, what, what do you guys feel that is, 
your biggest point when, you know, parents are like, all right, yeah, this is definitely what my You know what it is for us? Word, word of mouth success is, is the biggest driver of our business. And it has been since we very first started. Because when we mm-hmm. started, and this was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but in general, we started with kids. We didn't start with the best athletes when we started, particularly with like our high school and middle school kids. The parents that sought me out at that time were parents who said, you know, my son is too slow. My son is too skinny. My son is too heavy. My son is, you know, or my daughter, whatever it was. They were people with a need. Mm-hmm. And then we helped to meet that need. And then that kid generally outperformed their peers the next year. And that's, I mean, even like I said, I, I keep going back to my son and his friends, but my son and his friends, it's obvious. It's been obvious to other parents when they look and think like, holy crap, you know, Mark and his friends, the kids that are going to the gym are getting a lot bigger. They're a lot stronger. They're, they're, they're creating a really big gap between them and the other kids in their age bracket. And the result of that is like on their lacrosse team, probably more than half their lacrosse team now is in our program. And I haven't sold any of those parents on the program at all. They've just watched the kids that did it. I had a couple kids whose dads kind of jumped on board early. And, but the other kids just looked and thought, wow, you know, this, this gap is, is widening. And the reason it's widening is because, you know, these kids, they're bigger, they're stronger, they run faster, they shoot harder. It was just really obvious that, that they were falling behind by not training and that practicing wasn't going to be enough for them to, to even come close to, to filling that gap. So I think that's always, I, I think word of mouth is going to be your biggest sales tool. Yeah, that's what I, that's what, um, that's what I figured. Um, I was just curious if there was, you know, another, another way that you guys get, uh, get out there. Um, do you guys, what kind of testing do you guys do? Uh, is there, and then like, is it, do you guys use any specific, you know, tech technology that's coming out? Like, I know there's like, you know, you got, uh, the, 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 one with like the bar speed and all that kind of stuff. I know you do speed uh, testing with um, like outdoors and stuff like that. The 10, 10 meter, 10 yard sprints and stuff like that. Is there any specific things you use for athletes? Like as far as weight goes? That's the, only thing. the only thing we use, you know, if you're looking at technology, are the Brower timers. I mm-hmm. think that to me is the big key piece. If someone said I can only buy one, you know, piece of technology right now, I'd be like, buy a Broward timer. What about your, what about your, um, like, like, uh, testing vertical? Like, what do you guys, well, just, I like to just jump and I, you know, that would be the second thing. If you said, okay, I get to buy two things. I'm like, all right, buy a Broward timer and a just jump. But that's really for us. That's all the tech that we have. So with the, with the Broward timer, is it a 40 yard dash or like a 20 yard? Like what, what do you guys, we, just, we only guys time do? tens. We only time what we would call a fly 10. So a fly 10 is a 10 with some sort of running start. Okay. And we progress from five yard fly to 10 yard fly to 15 fly to 20 fly. So five yard fly, you're running 15 yards, but we're timing the last 10, mm-hmm. 10 yard fly in you're timing 20 yards, but we're timing the last 10. 15-yard fly-in, you're running 25 yards, but we're timing. We're always timing the last 10, 10. but okay. we're increasing the amount of run-up that you get, which will increase the speed that you're moving at. Up until up to 20-yard fly, um, everybody gets faster. When sometimes between 15 and 20, people don't, but up to 20-yard, they do. 
All right. Well, I just want to uh, kind of finish off with, you know, what are some tips that you would suggest to, um, you know, athletes that are, um, you know, new into SNC or current athletes under an SNC that, you know, want to be successful at their sport and, you know, you know, potentially get into, you know, D1 or whatever, whatever next level that they choose. Um, so. What so tips what is, would you what, suggest? What, what was the word? What, that, tips you, what tips would you suggest okay. to athletes? Uh, like I said, I think developing? number one, find a place to start training mm-hmm. because um, I'm a big uh, quote guy. One of my favorite quotes is the best time to plant a tree was six years ago. Mm-hmm. The second best time is today. Mm-hmm. So you got to get started training. Don't think, don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Find a good place to train and start training and find a place. I would say right now, find a place where they're going to time you, where you can start, where you can work on speed because speed ultimately is the biggest separating factor in sport. Um, I guess, you know, notwithstanding skill, because I think skill is a little bit more difficult to manipulate, but in general, I don't care what sport you're playing. Fast, fast players, you know, if you take two people with the same skill level, one's fast, one isn't, the fast player is going to have significantly more success. Mm-hmm. So those would be the, the, the biggest tip. And then um, I always talk, Slight Edge is one of my favorite books, but uh, Jeff Olson writes in Slight Edge, he says, um, you know, tip number one is show up. Tip number two is show up consistently. Tip number three is show up with a great attitude. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you wanted to tell a kid, okay, here's the tip one, find a place to train Two, don't miss days. Try to never miss literally never. Like I, you know, I tell our guys all the time, we're not going to miss days. You know, if it's Christmas, okay, we'll lift the day after Christmas, whatever it is. We've, we have tried as hard as we could to not miss a day of lifting because we're only going two days a week. You know, if you miss, like if you miss two days, you missed a week. If you missed one day, you know, you missed half a week. So, and then be coachable, have a great attitude, listen, pay attention, do what you're told. Cause that's all tough stuff with kids. And cause I've gone through this with my son and his friends. It's not easy because they're kids mm-hmm. and they like to mess around and they don't always pay attention. And they, you know, they lose their sheets and they don't write down what they're doing. And they don't like, there's so much kid stuff. What you, what our job is, whether it's kids, professional athletes, adults, we are managers of human nature. That's really what we're doing. And human nature is sort of easy way out, path of least resistance, you know, just do what you got to do kind of thing. And, and we need to manage that process with people and try to make sure like, you know, trying to get kids to do everything the right way isn't easy. Mm-hmm. And, but it starts with consistency. There's nothing that's going to be more important than getting kids in to the weight room on a consistent basis. because they're going to get plenty of sport practice. Yeah. We never have to worry about that. There's, there's more practice than they're ever going to need. So, uh, yeah. but no, I agree from a conditioning standpoint, that's different. Yeah. Awesome. Coach, Bo, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great holiday and um, have a good rest of the day. All right. You too. I'm going to get out of here and get back to work. Thanks. All right. Same. Thanks. All right. 
Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sisman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person, at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsisman_pfp underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.